Our scripture for today is a vision. It is not reality, though it speaks of reality. Visions and dreams play continual roles in the life of faith, and honestly, for humanity throughout time. From scripture, we can think of Jacob climbing that ladder, of Ezekiel and his wheel, of Joseph and the dream that saved his family from famine. We can think of Mary and the angels and the entire book of Revelations. These stories are essential to human meaning-making and how we see the world around us, especially because what we see in the physical world does not speak to the whole truth. Sometimes there's a deeper meaning, a deeper longing, a deeper purpose. And our dreams and visions can reveal and expose Maybe this isn't how it's supposed to be. Or if things remain the same, this is what could happen. Dreams and visions are as cautionary as they are expansive. And they have served this function for people of faith across the ages. And this vision, like a Guillermo del Toro's movie's Pan Labyrinth, which is one of my favorites, or The Labyrinth, with David Bowie, one of Seth's favorites. I actually didn't ask you if that was one of your favorites, I just made an assumption. Yeah, that seems on point. <laughs> or the labyrinth with David Bowie, one of Seth's favorites, involves the fanciful and the fantastic. This passage from Isaiah 2 holds that space, cue a fog machine with an enchanted smoke-filled room and creatures of the absurd with many arms and wings and eyes. But what these visions have to tell us, wrapped in all of their eccentricities and extremes, is something we need to hear. Sometimes our visions and dreams can feel like all that we have. When Maslow constructed his hierarchy of needs after sheer sustenance and safety comes community and meaning-making, and time again, maybe we've seen the ways that these dreams, these visions actually are what save us. They remind us and inspire us, especially when we've hit rock bottom. This morning we're hearing from the ancient text of Isaiah 6, 1 through 13. But let me just say something quickly. This is an ancient text, but when it was written, the God that still is here with us today knew that Kevin and Amy were going to be here today. And as a, a measure of hope that they found us, that wasn't luck. That was God working through everything. And I'm so thankful for that miracle that we got today. When we are rock bottom, you are our miracle today because of him. We never would have found you without him. So welcome. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces, and with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. Make the mind of this people dull and stop their ears and shut their eyes so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is utterly desolate until the Lord sends everyone far away and vast is the emptiness in the midst of the land. Even if a tenth part remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains standing when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight, for you, O oh God, are our rock, and you are our redeemer. Amen. So for over a year now, almost on a monthly basis, members of the church have been gathering for a book club. Now, selfishly, I have to confess, I was wanting a way to connect with folks in the pandemic, and. I was wanting a way especially to connect with people from church and the pandemic. I missed seeing you all. We were in that weird space where we weren't physically gathering together here. And I missed even how superficial they are, those little check-in conversations that we get on a Sunday morning. How are your kids? How are your parents? How was your week? And I also have to confess that I wanted to create a group that I would enjoy. No, it would not be a horror film watching group that Pastor Seth might initiate or a beer making group as my husband started at his Lutheran congregation. No, for me, it was a book club. Now I know I've mentioned before how much I love books, but humor me. So for those of you who remember AOL Instant Messenger, does anyone remember that platform <laughs> or have you used that platform? Okay, so my AOL Instant Messenger was it called a screen name? I can't even remember what it was, but my AOL Instant Messenger screen name was bookworm2989. And middle school Kendra would spend hours on AOL Instant Messenger finding people who also loved books. And I would especially talk to my aunt who lived in Texas. And we actually never really talked about life or what was happening in school or anything that she was doing. We would often just send each other book recommendations. What are you reading? And so in the middle of the pandemic, I created this group that I, I would enjoy. 
and it has been such a joy to read with you all. And in doing so, we're doing more than just reading, we're sharing our lives with one another. I'm excited that in April and May, two members from the church will be leading group conversations while I'm on parental leave, so be on the lookout for that, shameless plug. But books, I have always believed, like visions, have the opportunity to bring out truth in us and in our world. Maybe that's why today so many people are afraid of books. Sometimes I wonder if the people banning books have actually read the Bible, because if they knew the revolution that it contained within its pages, would they allow it to exist? Now, while the Bible holds holy wisdom, I, I believe there are many books that hold deep truths, dreams, and visions within their pages. A byproduct of this group that we created here at Church are the recommendations I've received of books that I should add to my list to read. If any of you have recommendations, I have an ongoing list. But there's no quicker way to my heart than a good book recommendation, and maybe that's why my husband Dan and I joke that the aesthetic of our home, not beach chic or cabin savvy, is actually literary and why we fell in love in the Divinity School Library, stacks of books surrounding us, the blue glow of our computer screens reflected in each other's faces. But one book a member recently recommended has stuck with me. Thank you, Dee Dee Foth, if you're here today. Uh, she had just finished reading it for another group, and the book is called The Choice. It's one woman's story of survival as a Jew in the German death camps of World War II. A rock bottom that was thrust upon her and the other women in her midst. And amidst the horrors of evil embodied, there were also visions and dreams. The author tells of how on nights they would make feasts for one another. They would make feasts with their words, going over beloved recipes and holiday menus, perfectly constructing the tastes, the sights of candle flickering on tables, of embroidered tablecloths, the smells of home in their minds. Because that is where we go after all when we hit rock bottom. We go home for the comfort, for the healing, for the care. When we hit rock bottom, we go home. And that is where we find the author of Isaiah going within our passage today. See, Isaiah is written in three main parts. The first part where we find ourselves today is the before. The Babylonian exile is coming. The temple where the holies of holies, where God was thought to literally live, will soon be destroyed and the families and communities will be scattered, isolated from one another, untethered and unmoored in a world that feels so foreign to them, where the ways of connection are cut off. We, in a lot of ways, know this world. We, like Isaiah, cry out, how long? It is the wilderness we have wandered through these past two years Maybe it's a wilderness that we knew too well before this pandemic because of grief or mental health or illness. It is a place where others have not been able to come with us, where we have wondered if God truly lives with us or if like 
the ancient Israelites, our God's home among us has been destroyed. And it feels at times like God too has fled for some better place, some safer shore that's less complicated than where we find ourselves. The passage from Isaiah starts with an acknowledgement, a foreshadowing of what is to come. The king who's provided stability is dead and change the only guarantee in life is upon them. Isaiah recognizes the need for this change within himself. He can't remain the same as he has been and go forward. And so he confesses, as we confess every week, in the ways in which he has altered and faltered and failed and strayed from who God is calling him to be. And forgiven and set anew, God calls out, searching for someone to go, to bear witness and eventually bring comfort to the people, to bring them home. And we hear the famous line as Isaiah calls out, Here I am, Lord, send me. When this passage of scripture is often read and preached on in churches with its great commissioning, we leave feeling inspired. God, too, calls us, we think. God commissions us. Pastors will preach. And these words are true. God calls each and every one of us to the work of God's ministry in the world. God commissions us as people of faith. But it is not always that easy because of what comes next. What comes next in the passage is also what happens often in life. We go on to read of the ways that Israel will be torn and divided, laid bare, and when all is laid to waste, when everything is burned and destroyed, when we have hit rock bottom, that is when things can change. The seed that lies in the stump springs forth. It is when all seems lost that there is hope. A friend of mine in recovery reminds me that everyone's rock bottom looks different. Some folks lose everything, their homes, their jobs, their relationships. For others, their substance use is a hidden thing to be found nestled in bottles on closet shelves or behind the privacy of locked doors. There is something she says that is universal, though, that I think applies more to more than just folks in recovery. And I know her words ring true to me in so much of life. She says these rock-bottom moments are when you know you can't keep going forward as you have been. Something has to change. Maybe all around you isn't laid to waste, but you feel laid to waste. And yet in that moment, there is a seed of hope. As God spoke of in Isaiah, rock bottom isn't the end. The burn never lasts, and you dare to dream and vision of what the hard and constant work of healing can look like. I find it interesting in this passage that the restoration of Israel wasn't big and bold and showy. It was a little seed that was nestled in a stump. And maybe our restoration, too, will be like that. 
quiet, subtle, unremarkable initially, and magnificent. Maybe we won't encounter literal creatures with seven eyes and seven wings, but I can imagine that you will encounter angels and demons along your way. You may meet a good Samaritan at a gas station or an oracle at a coffee shop. There may be signs of red birds on windowsills or the way that the light shines through the clouds. Or maybe even the, your own deep wisdom of your exhaustion telling you to rest. And you come here to this place where God knows you and we too hold one another. As a community of faith, you come home to be loved and nurtured and fed by one another and by a God who is present and a God who is especially present at this table. In the seemingly simple, in bread and wine, the sacred poured out time and time again. You come home, not having to pretend or perform, but in search of peace that passes all understanding. If we're willing to let go and admit that sometimes we too hit rock bottom, we cannot keep going forward as we have been. That we too sometimes need to come home for healing and that by God's love and grace, that is what we find here in this second home. Thank God, I know I need it. And maybe you do too. Amen.